You know, I had a note here this morning as the kid stuff was going in to tie in that concept of God as our help, but I feel like we've, we got it, right? Man, what a, a moment of worship this morning. I, I just, you know, I was thinking um, a while ago, um, you ever stand on the edge of a ledge, especially one that's like, not this wouldn't do it for me, but something that's very tall and all the feelings, you hang your toes off and all the feelings that come, there's, there's fear, there's excitement, but the adrenaline kind of starts pumping and that feels good. At least it does for me. I'm a bit of adrenaline junkie. Um, apparently one of, or all of my children are as well, as you see through testimony of a broken arm this morning. I, I, that's why I feel, I feel that way about what is happening in this moment in the life of our church. Um, years ago, um, um, Mindy and Brandon Roban came in. They are missionaries of ours that are in Turkey um, where it is illegal to share the gospel. And Brandon, I think it was Brandon, maybe it was Mindy, was talking about how their approach to ministry is they weave these gospel threads through their lives and through their conversations. And over time, you develop this beautiful tapestry of who God is. And people begin to see that. And man, I just, this morning, as I've heard the testimonies, as, as we worshiped together, We have, God is weaving a tapestry for us this morning, and I'm so excited about it. Um, I I am going to be aware of our time this morning, because I got some testimony I want to share this morning as well. Um, I want to connect some dots, because I love just letting God show off what he's doing. Um, This morning, Bethany shared with you guys, um, with, um, what was the guy's title again, Bethany? I'm sorry, community, the guy she talked about. We have been praying, and she, when she sat down, she's like, oh my gosh, I forgot to mention this part of it. We have been praying for the things that are happening since we launched this church. We have been praying, not necessarily for, I would not have used the words a seat at the table, because this is not about like the white savior complex of we have all the, all the answers to all the problems that are going on in the community around us. That is not where we are. But what we've been praying for is an opportunity to share life with the people that live here and to weave that gospel tapestry into their lives. And so over the last two weeks, the Lord all of a sudden has begun to work. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think a big part of it is that we, our hearts are finally ready to do that, to engage the Holy Spirit in the work that he's doing around us. And, and also, you know, politically some things had to happen in order for those pieces to come together. Um, I guess it was two weeks ago, Michelle asked me to come to a meeting with her on Saturday morning with this gentleman. His name is Ben, um, who works under the umbrella of this organization called Together Louisiana. And I'll be just frank and honest with you. Um, I said yes because Michelle asked me to. Um, because Michelle. I don't need to say anything else. But I, I, and I asked her, was the purpose of this meeting for, for us as a church to participate in what this guy is trying to do, or was it for something her personal? And she said, I, I don't know. I feel like it's for me personal. But she also is trying to figure out, is it something for us to, to do as a church? And so I told her, yes, I would, I would go. And so we went yesterday morning, and y'all, if I could recount an hour's conversation for you right now and do it justice, I would. And Michelle, feel free to chime in at any point if I misrepresent Ben in any way. But Ben is, is forming a new organization. He lives in New Orleans, but he and his wife are moving here um, to start this organization called Sin Law Interfaith. And I have been praying for what he has been doing for the last five years. What I've, what I've wanted is to have introductions, to have some way of meeting with other pastors 
in this area that are of other races and denominations so that we can do ministry together. But I didn't know how to facilitate that. I didn't know where even to begin. And that's what interfaith is about. And so we started this conversation with him just asking us about our church. And it was really, I'll be honest, it was really fun to just listen to Michelle's perspective on who we are as a people, as a Gathering Place church. And as we shared those things with Ben, he would, at different points in the conversation, he would just stop us and be like, wait, wait, what? Can you run that back for me again? Like, I told him that I, I tell people jokingly that I'm the old people at the church. And, and that's true in a lot of ways. There's a few couples that are a couple of years senior of me, but, but our congregation as a whole is very young, and, and that's very unique. We, we talked about how our approach to ministry is to ask God, what would you have us do with this thing that we see? And then we wait until God speaks. And here we are five years into waiting for the Lord to do something. And he finally is. And all of that was super, I felt like from Ben's perspective, was super um, refreshing for us to, to, to be able to share that with him. I, I wish that he and his wife were here this morning to see what God is doing in our body. Because as we talk about all the time, this is not something, me and Leah and you guys didn't get together and weave these tapestries together ourselves this morning. The Lord was doing that. I'm blown away by the lyrics of our music this morning and how, like, you saw the beside before, behind, like in the, I was like, when that lyric sheet came up, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, God, I, I see what's going on. As we're sitting in this meeting yesterday morning, I'm, I'm getting giddy because as he, it, the first probably 45 minutes of the meeting was him asking questions about us, and probably the last 15 minutes or so was him telling us about his organization, okay? And I want you to hear these words. I'm going to tell you what he said, the goal of the organization is, and I want you to see if you notice anything significant about that, okay? He said, the purpose of us meeting with pastors is to come together and share our stories in order to build relationships with one another for the kingdom, you know, it just so happens <laughs> that we're in the middle of a series about sharing our stories. I, I, I was, and I obviously, you know, I told Michelle when, when the guy left, we were kind of debriefing a little bit, and I said, I'll tell you right now, from Will's perspective, yeah, let's go. But I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to ask the Lord. And this morning, the Lord was faithful. He spoke, um, and, and he's going to speak a little bit through our word today, and, and we're fixing to dive into that. I, I will tell you, if you got an outline today, or if you looked at it on your thing, I was going to do a lot of reviewing today, but we're not going to do that now. We don't have time for it. I'm too excited about the word, ha the, the word that the Lord has for us, and that's from a couple of specific messages, and, and if you want the answers to those fill-in-the-blanks, we certainly can do that, or I can give you a transcript of those messages. Um, but but here's, here's where we are in the book of Hebrews. Last week, we, we got almost to the end of chapter 4. We're going to finish the last two verses of chapter 4 this week, um, verses 14 and 16. And I, I didn't plan to do it this way, but I want to just start by reading this this morning, okay? Because in the recap revolved around what we've learned so far through this study. All the different, um, Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus as um, as. The, the division between God and his people, all those things that, that we talked, we've talked about, Jesus being our high priest, all of that comes to this point of culmination in the book of Hebrews. And from this point forward until um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, we're going to be talking about one thing, and that is Jesus as our high priest. And so today we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper than we have before. Um, and I want to read this passage, and then we're going to break it down. So read with me verses 14 through 16. It says, therefore, since we have 
a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You just can't make this stuff up. So the author of Hebrews, we've talked about over and over again. I don't want to beat the dead horse, but he's writing to encourage the church. Kyle like that. You're going to just wait. It's going to get better. The Cowboys, I know I wore shorts today, but we're going to get real cowboy up in here, okay? Um, he, he exhorts the church to do two things in light of all that he's already talked about. The first one is to hold fast to our confession. I want us to get a mental picture of what that looks like. So I got a little video. It's about a minute and a half long. And if you'll cue that up, this is what it means to hold fast. This is what I want you to think of right here. How fast they go and how long they run. Look at this. Ooh. You say about that? You're not going to see it coming. Here we go. Echo Hawk. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, oh. We're ready. Connor. Hey, hey. Oh, Here come the cowgirls, Alyssa, Yowch, holy cow, Chief. <laughs> and here we go. If you've never seen that before, that's called mutton busting. And I will have to tell you, I've never seen the riding backwards thing. That one was a new one for me. That's what it means to hold fast. Sometimes you're like the little cowboy that rode all the way to the end, and sometimes you're like the little girl who got her face stomped. By the way, no animals or children were harmed in making that video, I think. Um, I've done that as a kid, and it was a lot of fun. Charlie was watching that with me this morning before I put it in the message, and I said, you think you could do that? And she was like, no. <laughs> When you look at that word hold fast in scripture, it's, it's translated a couple of, of different ways, okay? Some translations, uh, instead of, I put in our outline today, hold fast to our confession. That's the way it's worded in the, in the CSB. In other translations, it says hold fast to what we profess. And so what does it mean for us to hold fast? If we look at how that word is defined in other places in scripture, which is what I love to do, to go see how that term was used in other places to help me understand what the author is trying to communicate. Look at with me, um, I got a slide up here, it may be hard to read, but that's the Hebrew word, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I'll screw it up. But it means to hold on to, to grab, to seize, to control, to have power over, to arrest, seize into custody, um, keep, 
cause a state to continue or to accomplish or carry out. There's one particular verse that I read this, this morning or yesterday evening that, that is in a very similar context to the way we see it used in the book of Hebrews, and I want to share that with you this morning. Um, and this is Jesus in Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, addressing the Pharisees. And listen to what he says. He says, He answered them, Isaiah prophesies correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. Their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. Okay, so Jesus is talking about the zealousness of the Pharisees to hold on to their traditions that they had developed over years since Moses was given the law on Mount Sinai. And we're familiar with that, right? When we talk about the zealousness of the Pharisees, we get that, right? They were so zealous about their traditions. In fact, what did they do to Jesus? They had him murdered. Okay, that's pretty, I've, I've been real passionate about something, but never to the point of murder. Okay, but that is how they felt about it. So when we think of that term, hold fast to what we profess, that's what the author's trying to communicate. You are holding on for dear life, just like those little cowboys and cowgirls. We need to hold on to our confession. One of the commentaries shared a, a story from um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer's life to illustrate this point. I don't know if you're familiar with Diedrich Bonhoeffer, but he was a pastor, theologian, man of God in Germany during World War II. In fact, he was a German citizen, but before the war, he had immigrated to England and was a pastor of a church there. And after the war started, after the concentration camps began, Diedrich felt called by God to go back to Germany to minister to the people there. And this point that the commentary was talking about is Diedrich is sharing the gospel. He's working against the Nazis in Germany. And in, in fact, he was part of a coup to try to end Hitler's life in order to get him out of power. But they're discovered the coup doesn't work and he gets put in jail and ultimately he's executed in prison. But the day before and the day of his execution, he knew that it was coming. The other people in that prison asked him to lead a worship service and so he did. And they worshiped and they prayed and they shared the word and then they move him off and he goes through a mock trial. And it says the day before he is to be murdered, he's out in the wilderness with the soldiers. They're going to they're gonna shoot him. And he gets down in a stream and he prays for the people that are about to murder him. Now he knew what it meant to hold fast to his confession to the point of death. And, and you and I have not been in a place like that. Nothing near that. Now, I so appreciate the testimonies this morning, especially Mickey struggling with being sick and almost dying in a wreck. Also, there's a little bit of Grant Parrish that probably helped you out in that wreck. I wanted to just point that out. Um, but here's, here's what I want to make clear for us. The application for us today is that we as a people of God are called to do what the Lord has told us to do, regardless of how people respond to it. The people in Bonhoeffer's, Bonhoeffer's life did not like the fact that he was sharing the gospel. The Nazis didn't appreciate that. But he knew that God had called him to it. We are in a place in the life of our church where God is calling us to step outside of what is comfortable for us. I appreciated Leah's testimony this morning about the fact that her family backs away from conflict and the Lord is telling her and David to step into conflict. That's where ministry happens. That's where the goodness of the Lord is found because you are meeting the needs of people as God has called you to do it. 
And remember the place that this church is in, that the author is writing to, that they are struggling. And his exhortation to them is, hold fast to your confession. And so what is our confession? If we look at verse 14 again, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. That is the profession. That he is our high priest, that he has passed through heaven, and that he now stands between us and God. That Jesus is the Son of God and that is the greatest high priest who now represents us before the Father. He goes on to say that we should hold on to our confession because Jesus is the greatest high priest, not because he never sinned, but also because he faced every temptation that we face. One of the commentaries said this week, in this passage, therefore the word sympathize does not necessitate a sharing of one another's exact experience. But as in chapter 10, verse 34 in Hebrews, where the hearers are said to have sympathized with the prisoners, though not being in prison themselves, the word connotates being compassionate to the point of helping. Our high priest does not stand aloof, but cares for us in our human state of weakness. Church, that's who God's calling us to be. To hold fast to our confession is to care enough to step into action. To say that just seeing the conflict is not enough, but God has called me into that conflict to work on his behalf. Jesus may not have faced the temptation variant that you face, but the root of that temptation has not changed. And not only has he experienced it, he can sympathize. And then he's moved to action to help us because he understands what we're going through. I got a picture I want Anna to put up there. This is um, significant for us. And, and if you go on to read in verse 15 and 16, it says, Therefore, let us not approach the throne of grace, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Anna, will you put that, that first picture up there for me? This is the tabernacle that, that God calls Israel to build while they're in the wilderness. And there's a specific thing I want to point out. It may be a little hard to see. Um, I don't know. Can you all see the numbers that are on there? It's kind of small. In the back of that tent, you see a wall there that's kind of divided. And it has a number three on it. That's the veil. And behind the veil is what's called the Holy of Holies. And that's where God's presence resided inside the tabernacle. I want to read a story for you. Look at the, This is everybody's favorite book, Leviticus chapter 10. Everybody loves Leviticus, right? Just, you can't wait to read this one. Look at verse t- chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 with me. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own fire pan, put fire in it, placed incense on it, and presented unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had commanded them, not commanded them to do. Then fire came from the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has spoken. I will demonstrate my holiness to those people who are near me, and I will reveal my glory before all people. And Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Elsaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle, Uzel, and said to them, Come here and carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. God's holiness is a big deal. And God went through a lot of processes to make Israel understand how big a deal his holiness was. Uh, you've probably heard me share this example before, uh, and I won't go into full detail, but 
Once something is unclean, you cannot make it clean again in an easy way. Like I, I always, with youth ministry, I would say, if you have your favorite drink and you put a little bit of poop in there, it's not good anymore. It don't matter how much of it you throw out, the poop's still in there, okay? And that's how it works with God's holiness. That veil was there to keep God's people out of his presence because that, their uncleanliness would, would mess up his holiness. And so God protects his holiness in the Old Testament. If you take the time to go back and look at all the regulations that had to be followed in order to enter the temple, you'll fully understand the bigness of what the author of Hebrews is saying in verse 16. This week, take some time and go look at it just at Exodus chapter 28 or Leviticus 16 at the examples of, of what I'm talking about. And when you're reading it, notice how often God says something like, do it exactly like this or you will die. God takes his holiness very seriously. It's also imperative that I remind you that not just anybody could go into the Holy of Holies. And I'll go ahead and put that other picture up there of, of Solomon's temple. This is, this is when Jesus was alive. This is the temple that was there. This one's a little bit easier to see, but you see in the middle, there's that giant wall in the middle of this huge temple. And that was the veil to separate the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest, and there's only one of those in the, in the Jewish religion, only the high priest could go in and only once a year. Only one guy, once a year. So the fact that Jesus is our high priest, think about this. The fact that he is our high priest and his sacrifice is the final atonement. There's no more sacrifices that need to be made. When you go read Exodus 28, you read Leviticus chapter 16, you're going to see, I, I can't even fathom the number of animals that died on behalf of the Israelite people in order to atone for their sin. It's an it's a absurd amount. And Jesus made one sacrifice, his own life. And that was the final atonement that was needed. And because of that, now, instead of only one person once a year being able to enter the presence of God, God's Spirit lives inside of us. We are now the temple. That is incredible. That one man, once a year, under the right circumstances, if he had done all the right things, could enter the, the presence of the Lord once. And yet now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us every moment of every day after we come to faith in Jesus. Let me show you one more thing. Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 46. We're getting close to the end. Hang with me. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three. Because the sun's light failed, the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. I love telling this story. I love the imagery behind what just happened. Because upon Jesus' death, that veil that protected God's people, that said to them, this is the point that you cannot pass. You cannot go any further to God than this. On Jesus' death, when he breathed his last, that veil was torn and God's presence was released among all the people. And it's not long after that, on the day of Pentecost, that just as Jesus said it would happen, the Holy Spirit came down in tongues of fire and rested upon all the believers that were there today. And our confession is that as believers, that that Holy Spirit enters us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. No longer was there only one man that could enter God's presence. Now all people have access to God because of Jesus. 
This is the significance of Jesus being our high priest. We don't think about high priest often. Our brains aren't wired to work that way because it's not part of our daily life. If we lived in a place like England where there was a monarch, we might think about that more. And we kind of understand that, the idea of a monarchy, that there's one person who's in charge, who does everything, who makes the decisions. But Jesus, it's significant. And we're going to spend the next five chapters talking about this. But it's so significant that the author of Hebrews spends the majority of his time talking about the fact that he's the high priest. Because remember, the people are tempted in the church to go back to their old faith, to denounce Jesus and go back to the Jewish religion. And he's making the case that because of what Jesus has done, because he is the Son of God, instead of you never experiencing God, you can have him live inside of you every moment of every day. And so for us, for me, as I read this, the application of this exhortation just jumps out at me. The application is, is that we tell people about that, that we share it with them. And you might think, well, we live in Louisiana, we live in the Bible Belt, everybody knows that you get the Holy Spirit when you accept Jesus. And we might know that in our head, but how many people do we know and how often do we revert back to, in order to please God, I need to do A, B, C, and D. In order to approach God's presence, i got to get this stuff straight in my life. We struggle with that still. And I know that because we talk about it. But there are people around us all day, every day, friends, family, people we haven't even met yet, who in their minds believe Remember we talked about last week that you can believe something and be wrong. They believe that in order to be in Jesus' presence, in order to get to heaven, they have to do some stuff. They've got to get their life right. And the author of Hebrews is telling the church, he's telling us that Jesus did all that would ever need to be done, that he is the only high priest we will ever need. He stands before God in our stead. He took the wrath of God. He made the sacrifice. And He loves us just as we are. He's not okay with our sin and He will deal with that. We don't have to be anything in order to be loved by God. He loves us as we are. So we hold fast and we profess the truth that Jesus has done all that is required in order for us to be in God's presence. His life, His death, give us the opportunity to approach the throne exactly as we are flawed in everything church that's good news that is a story worth sharing that's what i'm excited about with all the things that the lord is doing in our life because what we are experiencing what we've experienced today is the presence of god in and among us not because we're good people not because we sang the right songs not because we did anything other than set the table and say god i am yours speak to me show me what you're doing And there's so many people around us who just don't understand that. That is new news to them. That God loves us that much. So in verse 16, Anna, throw that back up there for me one more time. He says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Not with fear, not with anxiety, not wondering if I did everything right, but with boldness. Because our faith is not in our own works. Our faith is not in what we have or have not done. Our faith is in Jesus who sits on the throne. 
we approach it with boldness and we receive the help that we need. Let's pray. Jesus, we are, we are so blessed by you. Father, I, I am in awe of the work that you are doing in my life and the life of our church. And God, as we stand on, on, the, on the edge of that cliff, excited, exhilarated, Father, I ask that you would, you would speak, that you would reveal to us where and how and what to do and how to say it, what to say. God, we don't, we don't want more of us. We don't want more of our ideas, more of our planning. God, we want you. We want to experience all that you have for us. God, we want to live that out in the people in our lives around us. We want them to see the beauty of who you are. We want to have conversations where people go, wait, back up a little bit. Say that again. God, this community, this this world does not know you. So, Father, give us opportunities to share the truth, to hold fast to that that we profess and to approach the throne with boldness so that you can be what we need, so that we can experience the goodness of God. Jesus, we pray all this in your name. Amen. So normally you